this is the best parenting thing. In those moments when you don't have anything left and you're like, I can feel it, then you say, hey guys, I got nothing left. I need a moment. Hey guys, it's been a minute. I feel like last time I signed off on this podcast, I said something like, see you soon. See you next week. And two some odd years later, here we are. But I took some time off, popped out another baby, focused on my family, focused on myself. And it's been really good, but I've missed doing this so much. And I am really, really happy to be back. We have a lot of incredible guests lined up over the next couple of months. And our first one is one of my new favorite people. Her name is Myla Line Weber. She's a parenting coach and educator and a mother of two. I'm telling you, when I finished my conversation with her, I was like, yes, this is why we're doing this podcast. She is so non-judgmental. She's so real and she gives incredible evidence-based parenting advice that is practical. And I love her. She's awesome. We talk about a lot of the concepts and frameworks that she's adapted. This concept called the both and space, which I've used a lot personally since our talk. We talk about needs boxes and marble jars and co-regulation, spicy children, how to handle yourself when you may not have been the best parenting version of yourself. She shares a mistake that she made in the midst of one of her children's tantrums that I was reminded of when mine was having one the other day. Helped me out a ton. And the detriment of being a perfect parent and the benefits of messing up. We have a lot of really good stuff in this conversation. I hope that you guys enjoy it as much as I do. With no further ado, here is Milo Lineweber. Will you share with the audience just your background and a little bit about joyful parenting? Yeah. So my background is I'm an educator and that is kind of what makes me a little bit different in the parenting space. There's a lot of parenting people out there who come from a therapy background, which is fantastic. I'm not saying that's not, but what is unique about me is that I'm an educator first. So I'm always thinking about, okay, I'm gathering the information, but how is it being explained in a way that actually helps parents <laughs> like right. that? I'm a very practical kind of synthesizer of information. So I was a kindergarten teacher and then I had my own kids. I live in Canada where I'm almost, almost like embarrassed to say we get 12 to 18 months of maternity leave. <laughs> I mean. I don't blame you because a part of me hates you when you say that, but it's how it should be. Yeah, it's how it should be. You're all welcome to move to Canada with us. Um, <laughs> we got the invite. Too. We welcome you. So I was on maternity leave. My first daughter was premature. And so when my job came up and they were like, okay, are you coming back? I was like, I can't imagine ever leaving her. She's this super tiny, small human. Can I have an extra year? They said, yes, I got pregnant again. I was at risk for another premature baby. I didn't want any extra stress. It would have been weird timing. So I decided to just take more time off. And in the meantime, because of my personality, I went and did a master's in parent coaching. And all, <laughs> all while I had my young kids. But part of that was when I was a teacher, I would have parent-teacher interviews. And I would say, you know your son is really having a hard time keeping their hands to themselves or they're spitting on the playground. One of my biggest triggers that kids do. 
what are you doing at home that works so that I can amplify that at school? And they would be like, we have no idea what we're doing. Can you help us? (laughs) So if you feel like that, you are not alone. So I started gathering parenting information and drawing on, I already had a master's in interdisciplinary leadership, but I did the need boxes, which I think we'll talk about. That was like the focus of my master's thesis. So I started putting together these parenting packages as a kindergarten teacher saying, well, here's what I'm doing in the classroom. It is starting to help. Do you want to try to amplify it at home instead of the reverse? What am they doing at home that I can do in the classroom? And then I realized, oh my goodness, parents need support. That's what's fundamentally going on. And also realizing as a kindergarten teacher, yes, I got to impact 22 little lives, but only for a few months a year. It felt like those impacts faded by the time they were in grade two sometimes. I was like, really, who needs the support is the parent. Support the parent, change the lives of children. That's my why. So I went down this path, did the master's in parent coaching to become a better teacher, but started helping parents and was like, oh my gosh, I love this. As a kindergarten teacher, and you have all this theory and all of these principles that you've learned through all your study, and then you have your own kids. You say something on your Instagram, like, I have all of this formal training and then the reality of parenting. Well, the difference there is, is that And I actually have really gentle expectations of myself as a parent, which if I can't model it, I can't expect parents to do it. So you'll often hear me say on Instagram, in this moment, I could call on the best parenting part of myself. And what the implication is, is that I don't do that in every moment because there are times when we can call on the best parenting part of ourselves, and we're like, oh, right slow down, get low, connect first, empathize with them, understand what's going on. That best part of parenting part of myself comes up more and more often as I have a full toolbox and as my kids develop and as I start to see all of this work, because my kids are five and seven, all of this work that I put in zero to seven years old, starting to manifest. And I tell these stories on Instagram to give hope Yes, we might not stop the tantrum in its tracks. That's not what I'm here for. But now I have an emotionally intelligent seven-year-old who says things to me that I'm like, oh my gosh, it's all paying off. Right. What is more rewarding? I feel like I get really triggered in the moment with the noise and the mess and the chaos and the touching and the just the craziness Mm -hmm. of having little kids at home. And when my toolbox is empty, I find it really difficult to do all of the things that I know that I should do. Mm -hmm. What do you have in your toolbox as how you take care of you? Can I offer something for those moments first? Absolutely. Okay. So listening close, this is the best parenting thing. In those moments when you don't have anything left and you're like, I can feel it, then you say Hey guys, I got nothing left. I need a moment. There's this lie that was taught to us that we have to know what to say. We have to know what to do. We have to kind of get into the moment and do the parenting things. We can say, I think I'm at capacity. I'm just going to take a moment. God, I love you. I feel like what you say, you say, I have gentle expectations of myself as a parent. And that's been a big part of my journey is I did not have gentle expectations. I had completely ridiculous expectations of myself. 
And that was why I was struggling. We're not going to get it perfect all the time. People, well, I'm going to ruin my kid if I scream or if I, what are your thoughts on that? I have a reel coming up that I think is really funny, but <laughs> where because I saw this quote floating around Instagram that says, they only have one childhood. And I wanted to scream. So I have kind of a play on that where I'm like, actually, they have a childhood made up of a bunch of moments. Some of those moments are moments of repair. Some of those moments are showing our kids humanness and how to be a human in the world, which includes making mistakes and yelling sometimes and not using the strategies. I always say to parents, I remember one parent I was working with, it just brought her to like sobbing tears. I said, tell me, what do you think your child's complete experience of you as a mother is? Because they fought and they had these things and there was this conflict and she couldn't get them to do the homework. And as she would like barely could speak, I'd worked with her for quite a few sessions. And I said, my guess is you're a safe place to turn, that he feels loved by you, that he thinks of you as a fun mom who cares deeply about his well-being. That's your child's complete experience of you. We get in this minutiae. I know I'm on Instagram. I try not to consume actually, because it just, it'll mess me up even. But we get in this minutia, like every moment, know the perfect thing to say, do the perfect script or else, or else. What was my child's complete experience of that day, of that week, of this month, of this time? It is so comforting to hear. I think as women, as mothers, we lack support. That coupled with the pressure to always get it right, to always do it right, let's take the pressure off. We're going to have bad moments. We're human. We're also Mm going to be aware of just how to get better little by little. The entire picture is what matters. We got to let these little stressors go. I feel like even if women don't quite realize that it's impacting them, Mm -hmm. all these little, like, shouldn't have done that. Or I have, I've read every book. I've listened to the podcast and I still lost my shit. Like, yeah, you know, it's okay. We can forgive ourselves, give ourselves a little grace. A hundred percent, a hundred percent gentling our expectations of ourselves as mothers is kind of key to enjoying parenting more. Your name alone on Instagram, joyful parenting. I've on our bad days in this house, I am wishing time away. There are times where I'm just like, I want to get to bedtime. Got to make it to nap time, which I then, of course, it's a vicious cycle. I guilt myself for, and I wish that time away. We just want more joy. We want more ease in parenting. Yes. Right. It's like yes. this time, my daughter just, and she's going to be five and a half. She walks downstairs and I'm like, you look 17, you know, that, and not to say they only have one childhood, but it is fleeting. It is really like a finite time. And that's something mm-hmm. I didn't really realize when they were babies. Yeah. I kind of find yeah. myself thinking, oh my goodness, this is really happening fast. And I want to frame that in a way that's like, don't wish it away. I got to find more joy in this time. Cause before I know it, I'm angry that there are dirty dishes and like sticky, stretchy superheroes on the ceiling and toothpaste all over my bathroom and socks aren't matching that I matched. I matched these damn socks. Why? Like, you know, all these little things that I got to let go of because I really want to enjoy this time. So I'd love to talk more about like your foundational concepts, the needs box and the tools that you have. I feel like the tools you have for your kids can also translate over to moms. Totally. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk about them because I have scripts. I have actually a free script for big feelings if parents are interested. And I think scripts can serve a purpose for sure. 
because part of enjoying parenting more is going to be feeling confident. So feeling confident as a parent comes from creating a good fit with your child. So I have a bunch of foundational concepts. But I love that because I'll be super like honest and vulnerable. When I started with this whole parenting thing, I didn't feel confident. I wasn't expecting to get pregnant. And even if I was, it's a brand new experience. So I didn't feel confident and that led to a lot of, lot totally. of anxieties. And- And no one feels confident right away because it's brand new. Also that gentleness with ourselves, like we can't read 14 parenting books and then necessarily feel confident. It's that combination of tools and experience and experimenting. So when you were talking about, you know, these moments and then guilt about wishing them away, I would like to invite you into a space I call the both and, and the both and space is like my favorite space to hang out as a parent, but also just as a human, both there are days I wish for bedtime or there are moments I wish for bedtime. And when I'm doing bedtime and my daughter goes, no, I'm around me and snuggles in close that I have a heart bursting moment of joy. So if I was stuck in, oh, I feel so bad that I was hoping bedtime would come sooner and I just need a break. I might've missed the joy moment, but the both and helps to kind of ease that I have to either either want to be with my kids every moment of every day, or I'm a bad mom. That's what a lot of that either or narrative kind of gives us. Either I do everything perfectly or I screw up my kid forever. Either I enjoy every moment with them or I'm not a good mom. A lot of them end with, or I'm not a good mom. (laughs) A lot of that either or thinking. And so that both and space is like, yeah, as a human being right now, I'm trying to plan a girl's weekend because I'm like, I need that. Absolutely. (laughs) And my daughter said, oh, would we be going on that trip? And I was like, no. And you're allowed to be disappointed. Sometimes I do things with you and sometimes I do things without you. So that both end space can be really, really helpful. Can you tell me about the needs boxes? So the need boxes was part of my master's thesis work and it's from William Glasser. I didn't create it but I've kind of adapted it. Also a woman named Diane Gossin adapted it in a way that I use it too. And the idea is we're often told, seek the need behind your child's behavior. The behavior is the tip of the iceberg. Underneath the iceberg is whatever's going on for them. They're whining because they want to be close to you. That's the need behind the behavior is they're actually looking to be close to you. That's why they're whining. So when we say to parents, okay, seek the need behind the behavior, that's really big. You're like, okay, well, what is it? Yeah, help <laughs> so, me. Yeah, exactly. And so I like frameworks because then our brain can kind of go do, 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 do. Okay. What is possibly the need behind the behavior? So the five need boxes are basic needs. These are things like, are they hungry? Are they getting sick? (laughs) Are they tired? Is their diaper wet? Right. Sort of like those basic. And then there's love and belonging, power, fun, and freedom. These need boxes, which spoiler alert, like you said, all humans have them. I have a need to have fun as a person and to feel powerful and important and valued and for love and belonging to be part of a community and you know, loved by my family and freedom to be able to have the opportunity for choice and be able to have open spaces actually is really important for me, you know, for a lot of kids. 
So when a child shows a behavior and the parent goes, I don't understand how to help them. My first process is, okay, what do we think the need behind the behavior is? And then we can address that need box. So do you want to tell me about a behavior with a child recently? And we could kind of seek the need behind their behavior. (laughs) We've got the routine hitting of the brother. Okay. Sibling fighting is a good one. Okay. So sibling fighting is a really good one. So we all have these need boxes. A couple important things to know. A big part of my foundations of joyful parenting is individual, individual child, individual parent, individual needs. So I'm not into the idea that there's a parenting manual. How could you possibly write that for my child or for your kid? No, we're all individuals. So we have different size of need boxes. For example, both my youngest and I have ginormous power boxes. We really, really like power. I can relate to that. And so can my (laughs) oldest daughter. There's two ways for us to get deposits in these boxes. There's up ways and there's down ways as the languages that I like to use. An up way to get power, for example, my daughter loves to help in the kitchen. We have a cutting glove. She uses a knife that's like a little sharp for a five-year-old to use, but we have a cutting glove. A cutting glove. glove is a great idea. Yeah. She likes to stir hot things on the stove. All of this might be causing some parents to have heart palpitations, but I've worked on these things with her and it's important because she has this big need for power. And when I meet the need in up ways, I see less behaviors of a child who has an empty power box. So when her power, just to stay on power, her power box is empty, you'll see things like randomly walking up to her sister and whacking her. And you're like, what? This looks like intentional, malicious. What's going to happen to my child? Is she going to end up in jail? This is actually, these are thoughts that run through my brain in the middle of the night. Why did she just knock him in the jaw? Googling, what are the early symptoms of sociopathic behavior? (laughs) Uh, Were you spying on me last night? No, really. I mean, it's like you can spiral so quick. Yes, we can spiral so quickly. But I can read behind that behavior because of this framework and go, oh, you are really needing something right now. What is it? Now, sibling fighting, why I was like, that's a great example, is it's often down ways to get love and belonging deposits, fun deposits, power deposits, maybe even freedom too. So if you think about it, I'll talk what those down deposits are. You go up and you hit the sibling. You feel super powerful because you just did something that you know you're not supposed to do, which makes it sound like it is malicious intent. This is like an unconscious process for kids. It also, all of a sudden, come help me. Now they hit me. There's chaos and noise and excitement deposits in the fun box. There's also the attention of adults. Hey, don't you do that. Now we're getting deposits in the love and belonging box. Now, if they start to continue to kick or those sorts of things, possibly freedom, like the rules don't apply to me. So sibling fighting is really this indication in this framework because we can view things through different lenses. And this is one framework I like to use. Oh, my child might be really needing more opportunities, proactive up opportunities to feel powerful, love and belonging, and fun. We work on that foundationally in what I call the before stage. Now, are we seeing as much sibling fighting? Because those needs are met. And when those needs are met, then we have less need to fill the box in a down way. 
something that parents have a bit of an aha moment over often is like, I'm doing the one-on-one time. We're doing so much. I'm cuddling them constantly, but we're still seeing these behaviors. And I'm like, well, maybe their love box is overflowing, but do they actually really need something fun and exciting to happen? So some ones that parents are like, no way, is like a child asking for sweets over and over is often a need for fun. My kid will go, can I have a popsicle? And my response is, I speak, I use my hands to talk, which is not great for podcasts, but (laughs) I speak to the need behind the behavior. And that sounds like, sounds like you really need something fun to happen. I get that. What about if we get out teaspoons and a pie plate of water with some food coloring? It doesn't have to be complicated, but I'm speaking and meeting the need behind the behavior. Can we talk about rolling the ball, the big bouncy ball? Oh, (laughs) what does that do? Okay. So that's another framework and that's the marble jar. So the marble jar, what's confusing about it is the need boxes. We're trying to keep them full. The marble jar, we're trying to keep empty. Those two are a bit different. So for the marble jar, this is from Stuart Shanker and a little bit from Stephen Porges. And this is the idea of our regulation. So our ability to regulate our emotions and our impulses and all of those things. And for kids, we also, what's important to know is development, which is a whole nother lens that we won't really get into. And we don't expect a child to independently self-regulate until seven to nine years old, which is so important for parents to know. So we've talked about hitting. How can you be hitting again? We don't expect closer to the child being like, oh, I want to hit you so badly, but I didn't until seven to nine years old. That's huge. Yeah. That'll so they're just learning yeah. until then. You're in the process of practicing. So the marble jar, the idea is, is that the marbles are stressors. For you, I can already hear stressors might be being touched too much, your house being cluttered, the sticky guy hanging from the wall, feeling like my space is chaotic, which is not a illusion. Like we do hear this one camp of like, oh, you know, if your parents didn't like things to be messy, then you're probably having this emotional. And also as human beings, we feel more regulated when our space is organized. And if you're sensitive to that, then it's amplified for you. When we can kind of see predators is, you know, if you think about that, like we can see our spaces open, we can see. So those are our marbles in your marble jar, stressors in your stressor jar. For my daughter, who has a spicy temperament, which we can talk about after too, her marble jar gets filled up really quickly. It's pretty much always has a few marbles in it, no matter what we do. Her stressors are temperature, social interactions, lack of sleep, and lack of the appropriate movement for her body. So when we think of this marble jar, when it's full and spills over, we have a meltdown. I'm talking about us parents or our kids. Oh yeah, all of us. All of us. The marble jar spills over. The stressors are too much. We haven't taken any of those marbles out of the marble jar and we spill over and that's gonna happen. It's okay. What we can do in the before phase And that's sort of my signature strategy is I like to break everything down the before, during, and after. So in the before phase is do a regulating and connecting activity that takes the marbles out of the marble jar. So if you look at my Instagram page, you'll see I have one on the bed where I'm making the bed with my daughter in it. And I'm like deep pressure. I kind of explain a little bit about those. And a lot of this is informed by occupational therapists, which I'm obsessed with. They have such great information to share. And so the ball, I do a ton of stuff with the ball and I can just feel her marble jar is full. Parents, 
You know, that feeling when you're walking on eggshells, you're sure your kid's going to explode at any minute. So you just like, Oh, you're so tight. Your nervous system is getting stressed. That is a moment when you could try getting out that exercise ball. We had ours for bouncing the babies who were gassy all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to labor on one of those. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people have them in their closet. And what's really important is that individual thing. So your child might hate some of my suggestions. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with your child. Just move on to the next one and see what's a good fit. I always share the example. My one daughter loves like such deep pressure touch. My other one likes light and I'll do bedtime and I'll forget. And I'll be like doing deep pressure on the one. And she'll be like, ah, this is the mom. You're hurting me. And the light pressure on the other one. She's like, oh, why are you irritating me? Because what feels regulating and good is an individual profile of what's regulating and good. I love that. You mentioned co-regulation at one point. Was it on an Instagram? But what is this concept of co-regulating? I love that you're bringing this up because it really is like when I talk about the development piece, I'll hear particularly from men, they'll be like, so it doesn't really matter what I do because you can't do it until they're seven years old. I'm like, not what I'm saying, but I appreciate your curiosity bringing this to my attention. But the idea is, is like, what are we doing in this time when they can't do it by themselves is we're being the co-regulator. I also want to say before I kind of explain co-regulation a bit more, I still go to my husband and expect him to co-regulate me when I'm upset. I'm like, can I have a hug? Because this is human relationship. We regulate each other. That's the safety and the care of a loving relationship. So the one thing about co-regulation is a mistake parents make is thinking, if I'm calm, my child will immediately become calm. I'm not giving that promise. What I'm saying is their experience of that moment is going to look different. Learning happened in their nervous system, learning the process of dysregulation to regulation, which switching between states is going to be a huge thing that kids are learning throughout their life and adults do. That's one thing that I wanted to make sure is clear is we're not going to expect them to be calm. It makes so much sense, right? And even if they don't in the moment, settle down, take a deep breath with you, whatever it may be. I kind of have this belief that like, there's something going on underneath the surface that I'm making little, even subconscious deposits into their emotional health as they get older. Like as long as I'm attempting to become aware of how I'm feeling in the moment, they could still be screaming, but like they're picking up on my energy. I read this book um, with stars in their eyes, it's called, and they mentioned co-regulation and they mentioned this resonance that we have, like our energy has when we're in this calm state. Mm-hmm. And what you said of one of the mothers in your group, my win was, I was just being, I wasn't screaming. I wasn't popping off. I was totally. just holding my own. So co-regulation is the idea. And actually my colleague and friend, Larissa, and I did um, a workshop all about this and co-regulating kids through meltdowns and tantrums. But co-regulation is when my nervous system, my marble jar is empty or low, and I am steady and calm, and I can lend my child that calm feeling. And this happens for a couple of reasons because of mirror neurons. So our child reflects what we are feeling. We can all see this. So if we're at a playground or someone that you know, but your kids don't know comes up to say, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you in a hell. The kids might reference you to go, how do we feel about this person? Or they're at the playground and they might reference, how do we feel about this slide? Is mom going, oh my gosh, don't go over there. 
we communicate with our bodies to our child about how a situation is. So when we co-regulate, we are in a calm state and we lend our calm to our child and we signal to their nervous system, you are safe. I am here. And I literally say those words. Our child's nervous system, when they're dysregulated, is scanning the situation and going, I don't feel safe. Something's not right. So for us to go, it's okay. Look to me to assess whether or not the situation is okay. I'll be your signpost in the storm of emotions. That's from an OT, Angie Voss, which I love that idea too. Something to hold on to in this torrent of these meltdowns and these emotions. Now, a couple of really interesting things. One, co-regulation is bidirectional. So if you feel dysregulated when your child starts to lose it, you're not imagining it. Our nervous system is also impacted by their regulation. Our nervous system goes, oh my gosh, this isn't safe. My child is kicking, screaming, throwing stuff. So what we're asking parents to do, and a lot of people are like, lend your child, you're calm, co-regulate them, be the calm for them. I want to be like, disclaimer, this is some of the hardest work you'll ever do. That's all I want is to be that signpost in the storm. But sometimes I'm like, I need a signpost. Yes. I need my own signpost. Why? You're human? Right. And it's just taking that pressure off. It's like, we're doing the best we can, but... I'm an adult, so at least I have the awareness to exercise these tools, whereas Mm -hmm. this little one really doesn't. And we do, we fill up our toolbox for how are the individual ways that we regulate ourselves so that we can provide that for a child. But that's individual again, which is why I share such an annoying amount of tools, because not everyone is going to be the right fit for everyone. That's such an important reminder is... What is going to make me regulated and what's going to make my husband regulated are two totally different things. We are all so unique. I think there are universal concepts that can be generalized, but when it comes down to the day-to-day and our tips and our tricks and our tools we use, they've got to be differentiated to really be effective. Can we talk a little bit about spicy kids or just being spicy in general? Because I believe I am. I would be categorized as a spicy individual. Me too. Sometimes it takes a while for us to unlearn a belief, especially as women, that being spicy means that there's something wrong with you. Amen. Unlearning beliefs all day around here. I mean, (laughs) full-time job. Okay. So spicy kids. I have so much to say about spicy kids. And I will say, if after talking about this, you're like, oh my goodness, I can relate to this. Stay tuned on my Instagram page. I've been working on something for so long, but it's coming along. It's coming along. I'm excited. Um, And I've talked to so many women who mm -hmm. may not have used this terminology, but will Mm -hmm. absolutely relate to what I believe after Myla stalking. I have a little understanding, but I want to hear from you. Totally. And I do have an Instagram highlight on spicy kids that every single day I get messages from people being like, I feel so seen. So that's definitely part of it too, is feeling understood and having a frame around it. So spicy is not in any book. It's a term that my girlfriend used before I had kids. And she was like, Ooh, my kid is spicy. I loved it. And then I started to actually create more of a clear definition around it. When my first was a cool cucumber and my second was a fiery, fiery, spicy little lady. 
I'm so grateful for her and her spicy temperament because I would not be able to support parents if I didn't have her to help me empathize deeply with what it is actually like to sit through a 40 minute meltdown. What it is actually like to be around a kid who goes zero to hundred and you're like, oh my gosh, my head's spinning. What just happened? So the way that I define it is it is in textbooks around temperament as a difficult temperament for maybe obvious reasons. I don't love that terminology because as soon as we pin a child as difficult, we're going to interact with them in a certain way. So I love spicy food, like love spicy food. So to me, and it actually has positive connotations but also clearly you knew before I even started talking about, you're like, Oh, I know. I know about I do. So it's a cluster of temperament traits and it's a certain temperament in a child. And it is undoubtedly more challenging to parent a child who has a spicy temperament or who is spicy. I'm okay with both language. And especially when we don't know how to create a good fit for them. So a good fit in the parenting things. So I'm going to talk about my own daughter because again, this individual piece. So these are some characteristics of my daughter, maybe not all show up in another spicy child, but kind of this general picture. I want to be so clear, like this isn't in the DSM-5. This is not a diagnosis. This is more behavioral. Right, right. So live close to shame. A lot of people, as soon as they say that, they're like, yes. And we see that when there's an expectation to apologize it's like they have a mouth full of nails and they're like, oh my God, I can't apologize. Like it pains them to apologize because of this overwhelming crashing feeling of shame. And then also really big, wide, deep spraying emotional experiences. Often regular parenting tips do not work and are like pouring gasoline on their little spice fire. You're like, are you feeling sad right now? And they're like, Boom, boom, punch you in the face. <laughs> you're like, oh, no, you're feeling yes. angry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess no one's kidding. That, right? <laughs> choices. Spicy kids often do not love choices. They're like, oh, do you want blue cup or red cup? And they're like, I want that pink cup from last Tuesday yeah. that I got at that lemonade stand that you could never get again. They're like, <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah zero I feel like women everywhere are just like, Yes. Yeah. Zero to a hundred. And also part of this spicy is this passionate. You can tell I'm like talking with my hands and I'm into it. So my daughter who has a spicy temperament, when she hugs you, you feel like the universe of love in her hugs. She does it with her whole body nervous system. They probably always have marbles in their marble jar. You could do all the things They always have marbles in their marble jar. So when some parents say, okay, need boxes this is so great. I'm, this is so helpful. Wait, I've spent a lot of time filling the need boxes. I'm still seeing a ton of stuff. Then I go, how's their marble jar? So it's the both and. And need boxes are more top down, like thinking about emotions. Marble jar is more bottom up, thinking about regulation and nervous system. They're often sensitive. So here's the story. My daughter is super sensitive and super sensitive to temperature. Temperature changes are a really big deal. So she's a fever right now. And when her fever's spiking, she's throwing up. And my husband, who's an emergency physician is like, I bet this is related to her sensitivity to temperature changes. So like febrile seizures are because of the change in temperature. I just learned this last night. It's not like common knowledge. <laughs> tells me things yeah, and I'm like, I'm oh. learning right now. So it's the change in temperature. So for my daughter, that change in temperature created nausea because she's so sensitive 
two things like temperature change for us. We live at a ski hill. So the helmet and the itchy and the ski clothes and the temperature being too hot or too cold are really big triggers for her. Often more anxious feelings in kids who have spicy temperament. This can manifest in a couple of ways, straight up what we think of as anxious feelings, socially anxious, quote unquote, shy or perfectionism. If it's not right, it's wrong or strong desire to control. So that's the big power box. It has to look this way. You have to sing the three songs and then you can go, no, you can't. The water cup has to be this color. That's very characteristic of a child with a spicy temperament. I'm going to give my biggest tip if you're like, yes, yes. (laughs) So my child or me is we want to focus on the before and the after like never before. And that during phase when a child with a spicy temperament is melting down, a parent inside my membership literally just said, my win this week is I just stopped talking in the during phase. They're on fire. Literally my small daughter, when she was three, I remember being like, it looks like you're on fire from the inside out. And so you wait till the fire burns down. You focus on your own regulation and we calm our own bodies down to help provide that co-regulation. So if you are in the midst of a 40 minute spicy child on fire, Mm -hmm. will you walk me through your process? Well, here's the thing is that my daughter at five no longer has really extended meltdowns because of all of the work that my husband, Nick and I have done. We have decreased the frequency, the duration, and the intensity of the meltdowns. And that's the goal, right? It's not to just get rid of bad behavior forever, be the most perfect mindful. It's just, let's decrease. Decrease intensity, duration, and frequency. Let's do it. And that was the thing is that development had to catch up with us doing these skills over and over on repeat. Okay. So one of our biggest strategies, oh, and I do have a whole course on like meltdowns and tantrums too, that if parents are looking for kind of the in-depth of this. So one of the important things is that Nick and I had parent A, parent B. So I would be like, okay, I'm regulated. I can go in. I got this. And then I would get hit in the face and I would be like, okay, you're parent A. I need a minute. I'm laughing because it's true. It's like my daughter literally had butted my husband, acted like I didn't hear anything in the other room. <laughs> totally. Which if we're not in a regulated state, so if we go in and we're like, you're not dealing with her well, what are you doing? That's not how we're supposed to do it. Think about what we just talked about, about right. co-regulation. Right. What right. is that signaling to her little body? This really is a crisis level situation. Things really bad are going on. All my adults are signaling that and they're not going to come back down of the wave any sooner. But yeah, so that's one thing. Now, the other thing actually happens so much in the before, and we talked about this. So in terms of parent patience, what tools or tips or strategies, and this is what we see a lot of on Instagram, is a lot of focus on the during phase. But we really need to be focused on the before. So patience is an accumulation of moments that now I need to call on my patience in that during phase. And whatever we did in the beginning, sleep? Did we have coffee? Did we have a little too much coffee? (laughs) Did we eat? Did we only eat scraps of toast and a few goldfish? Have we drank water? Have we moved our body? Have we looked outside? Have we, whatever our individual practice, have we done yoga? Have we exercised until we sweat? What have we done in the before to be able to pull on that best parenting part of ourselves in that really, really intense moment? No one is saying it's not intense. 
in that really intense moment to be able to offer our children that best parenting part of ourselves. So for me, it looks like calling on Nick. If he wasn't there, we're lucky. He's a doctor, but he works a lot when we're sleeping. So he's around a lot during the day, which is lucky. And so we would call on each other. It goes both ways. He would also be like, okay, I need a break. We would find safe spaces. So our bed was often a safe space or a couch where she could be destructive. She has a destructive part of her when she's having meltdowns. It's very common so that we didn't have to also being like, no, put that down. No, don't do that. And just like, yeah, you need to let loose. We're here with you. A big mistake that I made is talking. So I would say things like, you know, what do you need right now? Or I'm here for you, even anything. And she once told me between tears, we were driving back from the ski hill after she just couldn't cope anymore. And I was like, I'm here. And she said, just be quiet, mom. And I was like, oh, thanks for telling me what you, I kept talking. (laughs) I was like, thank you for telling me what you need. I'm so proud of you for knowing what you need. Whatever, because I'm a human and I'm a work in progress. Exactly. We all are. It's too funny. But I really realized, and I just added this into the Joyful Parenting Collective, a library entry on how do you co-regulate and not say a word? Because that is an important skill. Sometimes you say more by not saying anything at all. When my kids started school, I was drilling them. I was just wanting to know what's going on. I'm like, who'd you yeah. talk to? What happened? Da, da, da. Yeah. And then when I finally shut up and it's bedtime, of course, and they want to stay up yeah. later, I get the scoop and it's just like, settle down, mom. There is actually some research to indicate that perfectionism in parenting is detrimental for kids. So that's really interesting. As we believe we come from a belief system, we're in transition in a belief system thinking that we have to be perfect. And actually, I always like to remind parents the benefits of making mistakes. I told the story recently on Instagram, like I yelled at my kids in the morning to hurry up. And the benefit of making the mistake is then I get to show them what real repair and restitution looks like and feels like, and in relationships, how they can show up to repair and make restitution in the future and in our family. And without that modeling, we can have kids who think, oh, mom was perfect. Imagine, just like imagine a weird, weird world where we never yelled at our kids or never made mistakes. I don't know this person, but maybe they I sure as hell don't either. And the child, they become a mom or even they're just an adult and something happens and they feel really angry and they feel really frustrated. And then they say to themselves, my mom never felt like this. What a bad person I am for having any of these feelings. Stuff these down, hide these away. Don't let anyone know. When we know about repair, And restitution, restitution is another piece of what I did my master's thesis work on is like, how do we reduce that feeling of shame, especially in our spicy kids? We give them the process of restitution. So they actually can make a mistake, but then repair. Shame doesn't like to have options. So once we give options, shame's volume gets cranked down a little bit. So when we are able to model actual genuine repair. I shouldn't have talked to you like that. It's my job to take a break and go regulate myself. And I'm working hard on it, but of course I'm going to make mistakes because I'm a human being. I love you. I'm sorry I use that big voice. It makes sense if it felt scary. 
And then when they say it did feel scary and you're like, Oh gosh, we take a deep breath and we go, yeah, I can imagine it did. And I'm working hard on not using that voice again, but I'll probably keep making mistakes, but I'll always fix them. When we have repair, that's how we can be gentle for ourselves. You don't have to be perfect. And you're like, oh, cool. An opportunity to teach my child about being a human being. You're so non-judgmental and empowering and validating for women. Especially when I opened up about the postpartum depression, a lot of women feel that way. A lot of women feel just totally like they're floundering in this crazy and starting with, it's okay. We are too. And you don't have to get it perfect all the time. Mm -hmm. Take care Mm -hmm. of yourself first. And you're going to find that all of these subsequent situations just become easier to manage. Totally. And actually, when I structure anything, I always start with the parent, then the child, then the relationship between parent and child. That's one of my other frameworks. So we have to start with us. And I'll offer like a little something about self-care. It's such a word. We're all familiar with it. But so then it becomes a little bit... It's falling on deaf ears, I think, because it's like overused and over-talked about. but. When we redefine self-care, and this is a process I walk parents through too, is what does it mean for you? So if you're like us and you're spicy, self-care might actually be things that make you feel excited. Not calm, right? But excited because you're like, I'm adventurous and I want to feel excited. I think that's a huge point. And it might be getting a massage and getting your nails done and having a quiet day, but my self-care is like this type of interaction. It can also be like when my daughters were really little, they'd come down and we would cuddle in the morning. We live in a ski town. So in the snow and the fire on and read a book. And that was my self-care. So self-care doesn't mean you have to be alone. And if you are like, Oh, my lad, that's not mine. That's okay. No, And I'm not being a martyr going, oh, I'm so great. It filled me up. It filled my need boxes. I felt calm. I enjoyed it. I was delighting in my child and their sweet little head and their smell. And here's another kind of like huge takeaway. I don't care what you do. If you put on lipstick, if you drink water, I put like a squeeze of lemon in my water. If my brain goes, hey, look at you taking care of yourself. We get a positive feedback loop of feeling like the kind of person who cares for ourselves. So I don't like the meme, like having a shower is a mom's right, not shouldn't be considered self-care. I'm like, well, if it's self-care for that person, like, please don't take that away from her. Whatever you want to identify as self-care, you're going to create a positive feedback loop of, wow, I'm the kind of mom who cares for myself. And then that moment happens, the meltdown. And you're going to show up differently because your perception of yourself, the narrative you have around yourself is, I'm a mom who took care of myself before this moment. Even if you identify that as, or same, I'm the same. Working fills my power box. I love, I love doing what I do. It fills all my need boxes. It's totally self-care for me. Thank you so much, Myla. Can you tell everyone where we can find you? Instagram is the best place to find me. That's definitely where I hang out the most and have the most updated information. So I'm at joyful.parents. I think you can search people's name and they come up. So I'm Myla, M-Y-L-A too. And the Joyful Parenting Collective is everything that I do. So all of my courses and my workshops do live inside the Joyful Parenting Collective. It's a parenting membership space. 
for parents who are looking to enjoy parenting more. It's specifically for parents whose kids are one to seven years old. I do have you know parents who are younger kids and older kids, but all the developmental specific information is targeted at that age range. Literally everything we've talked to about today, plus a whole lot more is inside. So there's courses on how do we increase our patience as a parent and the tantrums course, as well as top down and bottom up regulation co-parenting. There's a lot in there. And then all my past workshops and a library of sort of like quick, okay, my child's biting, or how do I reduce shame in parenting? Or how do I reduce power struggles? Or my child's rough with their pet? Or I mean, there's so much here that I hope is as helpful to other women as it is to me. 